Welcome, everyone, to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian-American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and today we're going to be talking to a woman who won't let her disability define her. Shana Garaya jokes that she is a triple threat. She's a wheelchair user, Punjabi, and a woman. She is a fierce activist for people with disabilities and recognizes the importance of media in shifting public perception, which is why she's in film. Please help me welcome Shana Garaya to the show. How are you doing today, Shana? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it's my it's my honor. To be honest with you, I appreciate you being on because I myself have a daughter who has a disability. Um, not quite like your disability, but a disability nonetheless, which I'm noticing as a parent, I am definitely hindering her from just being herself. And so I'm glad you're on the show because I'm I'm here to have you educate people like me. <laughs> so that's, Definitely. I'm so stoked you're here. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to get started. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's start with that. So tell us about your journey starting up, uh, you know, growing up in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I had a really interesting upbringing. Uh, I was raised here in California in like a tiny suburb called Elk Grove, where I had a pretty hard time fitting in, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. for a lack of trying on my end. So my mom is from England and my dad is from India. So two immigrant parents. Um, And on top of that, by the age of five, I was a wheelchair user. And so I really struggled with all of these identities and like figuring out where I fit in. I remember trying to like offset my Indianness by hoarding Barbies to get friends to come over. Um, And then like, (laughs) I know it was ridiculous. I was like trying to assimilate with the culture. Um, And like, to make myself more feminine, I got my first wheelchair in hot pink which was like way too much. Um, (laughs) And then like, I even thought I could hide my disability by becoming a straight A student. Right. And that goes along with the whole like disability doesn't define you. And that's a phrase that I have a conflict. I have a complicated relationship with that phrase because on the one hand, I'm not only my disability, but on the other hand, I've learned to own that identity because it does define a big part of my life. And I think that by shunning that identity or by saying I'm more than that identity, I kind of also feed into ableist notions of like not wanting to talk about disability or not wanting to see disabled people as disabled, instead wanting to see them as special. When in reality, calling us special just like swerves around the problem or swerves around our identity, sorry, not the problem. and doesn't allow us to actually address our condition and the inequities in society. So like I, I hid my disability by becoming a straight A student, but like part of getting those grades meant I had to read a ton of books. And so I did end up falling in love with like escaping to fantastical lands. Um, and I got the spark to write because I'm a writer, now I am, uh, when my family traveled during my summers off in middle and high school. So I built worlds based on these countries, but mine were way better because they were like, they were accessible with heroes in wheelchairs. It's funny that you say this. Having a daughter, as I mentioned, who has an intellectual disability is is kind Mm -hmm. of what she has. We're told, listen, your child has a special need. 
much. So we're already yeah. given that phrasing. And then as you're trying to cope with dealing with, you know, just accepting that and under trying to understand more about your child's disability, you're then taught about, gosh, forgive me for not remembering, but there's a phrase that people call, um, like not first person, but like, I can't say that you use person a wheelchair first language. Thank you. Thank you. Person, yep. person first language is something brand new. I never even knew. And I, my daughter is now seven and I'm barely learning about people, you know, person first language. And so we can't say, what is it like? Show me an example. Like I can't say you yeah. are wheelchair bound. Yeah. So wheelchair bound is problematic on a different level, just because it's like, it, it implies that the wheelchair is bad because it says wheelchair mm -hmm. bound, like you're confined to it. When in reality for right. us wheelchair users, for a lot of us, we consider it liberating because that's our mode of transportation. Um, and so, but person first language is basically like, instead of saying, um, like one of my films I made was called Wheelchair Wendy and you like stick the wheelchair in front of the person's name, right? Like they're a disabled right. person. They're not a person with a disability. So you're sticking the disability in front of their identity so that it's first. It's ahead of them being a human being. So person first language does the opposite. And it basically is like, you are a person with a disability. You are a person first. Okay, thank you for, for clarifying that for me. I'm still learning because I know with my daughter, I I have a hard time saying, you know, she has an intellectual disability versus she is intellectually disabled. So I catch myself because I know there is a difference between the two things. Yeah, and honestly, like, I, I have a complicated relationship with person-first language as well, right? I think it is better for non-disabled people to use it when describing us. But me personally, I will say like, oh, I'm a disabled woman, right? Right, um, right. Because I just don't, I, I don't mind that identity being first. No, I appreciate you saying that because I know a lot of people that have disabilities have always said, dude, don't, don't worry about the proper language. But then you do run into those that tell you, hey, 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 make sure you're using, you know, the person first. And so it's, it's a it's back and forth that I get that. But let me go even rewind a little bit more. How did you end up with having to use a wheelchair? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's funny because like everybody expects, expects like this grand story, right? And when I was right. a kid, I used to get asked it so often in elementary school, right? In kindergarten and first grade. And I used to make up these like ridiculous stories of how it happened because I just realized how uncool it was about how it actually happened in my life. Um, and so <laughs> basically I was just born with it. Like it was always going to happen. So like by the age of two, everyone knew that as soon as I kind of started walking, I wouldn't walk for very long. Um, and so by the age of five, I was a wheelchair user. So I really don't know life other than being in a wheelchair. Oh yeah, what's your condition? Yeah, so I have um, spinal muscular atrophy and I always forget to say that because I just assume that people know. <laughs> No, that's fine. That's totally fine. No, it's it's something. Uh, and can you describe that condition for those that don't know? Yeah, it basically. So I'm an electric wheelchair user um, because my muscles are weak and I can't like push a manual chair. Um, and it basically just means that I'm just pretty weak. Like I can lift about two pounds. Um, I don't have much uh, leg movement. Um, right. And so, yeah, that's about it.
Okay. No, you remind yeah. me of a really good friend of mine um, that uh, I used to do a lot of work with uh, folks at Rady Children's Hospital here in San Diego. And she had what was called brittle bone syndrome. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. heard of that. Yep. But it sounds very similar uh, with her condition. Um, I know that she can shatter, her bones can shatter uh, pretty easily. And so she also is in a wheelchair and and uses an electric wheelchair for, for her purposes. So you just have always been in the wheelchair and growing up for you, obviously that's the spotlight. People notice you first in the wheelchair. Was it fairly easy for you going to school and growing up? Um, I would say yes and no. I think a big part of like my elementary and middle and high school was me fighting against this like perception of otherness and mm -hmm. again like I said you know I tried to hoard Barbies I like I tried to assimilate as much as right. I could and part of that like it got worse in elementary school it was just about buying toys but in middle and high school it was about like being the best student to the detriment right. of my health um and so like you know I would overwork myself because um, as someone with spinal muscular atrophy, I don't have as much energy as, you know, the average or the non-disabled person, the average non-disabled person. And so I would work like five times as hard and, you know, to get that GPA and to just prove people wrong. I think that's ultimately my Achilles heel is that whenever somebody doubts me, which happens all the time as a wheelchair user, um, I prove right. them wrong. I just do that. And so um, that's really, I struggled in, you know, my lower grade levels, but then that all changed when I chose to attend undergrad at Sacramento State University. Um, I right. didn't have an accessible desk to sit at in most of my classes. And I was shocked. So I also noticed that like other students with disabilities weren't being accommodated. And I just knew I had to take action because my rage was just like unbridled at that point. Um, so I made my first attempt at a film documenting the discrimination by sticking a, Go a GoPro on my wheelchair and filming for about six weeks straight. Um, and like I had a cover over the GoPro. Nobody knew it was recording. It was done in secret um, because the college wasn't quite supporting that vision at the time. Um, right. And I was really open about my personal experiences as well. And so when I did show the film, you know, Sacramento State actually embraced it. The administration embraced it and there was huge change brought about on campus and it launched me into their news cycle. And that made me realize, like, not only could I make films, but my perspective was needed. So that's what set me on the path of storytelling as a career. I love that. And you used your power for good, obviously. Yeah making sure that, you know, those that weren't heard are now heard. But let me ask you, and I mentioned this prior to us even starting this podcast, for my daughter, she is half uh, Filipino and she is half Hispanic. And both cultures are very much into catering to their children. And we're very, I guess, the, the best word to describe it is we're very um, overprotective. <laughs> Yeah. Of, of my daughter. And, mm -hmm. and I know as a parent, it, it's probably stifling for her and probably something she doesn't need from us. But I mean, convince me, tell me to like chill out. Like what <laughs> as a parent, 
uh, or even parents that are listening that have children that have disabilities, what can we do to make it easier or better for you? I think number one is education, right? And like you're doing it, Hula, you're probably like Googling things online, trying to figure it out. But mm-hmm. be careful about who you get education from. Um, right. Because there are organizations like, you know, even Autism Speaks, which do which have come under fire from the autistic community for not promoting what, you know, people who are autistic want promoted. Right. And so it's like, look at activist page, look at what people who have your child's condition are also doing and are also fighting for so that you can be an advocate at that level and also put that in your child's life. Right. And so one of the things for me personally is that Um, My parents were great, Um, but I think the thing is they kind of treated me like I wasn't disabled when I started proving myself, like by getting great grades. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can be a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it made me feel really good because it's like, huh, they don't see me for my disability. I did it. Like I proved it. Um, But then on the other hand, it's like, I'm disabled. There are things that are different about me and things that I need very, like I need help with. Um, and so it, it is a double-edged sword and you have to acknowledge both. You have to acknowledge that your child is more than their disability, but also still that they have limitations. And instead of being like, how do we overcome those limitations or how do we protect them from those limitations? It's just how do we support them to be the best versions of themselves? Um, And so my parents, like I went to film school, right, which is totally untraditional for an Asian family. Um, My dad works in trucking. Yeah, my dad works in trucking. Um, My mom, after I was diagnosed, uh, worked as a paraeducator. And so I wanted to move out of my small town and go to USC. And I had all these big (laughs) dreams. And honestly, I think if I was going to a sub- not if I was going to a college that didn't have a big name, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have been as supported. But because I went to USC, I was very supported by my family. Um, my dad always wanted to be a Bollywood actor, so he was like thrilled. Um, he was <laughs> like, well, man, maybe you can go to India and make a Bollywood film. Um, and so, like, they have been so accepting, and I had a very kind of untraditional college journey for my MFA because I was away from home. Um, I need caregivers for some aspects of my life. And the state, the state laws are pretty horrible. Um, I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. They're awful and they don't give 24 hour care. And it's also just really hard to get um, consistent caregiving. And so my mom actually- Oh gosh, say that louder, please, for those in the back. Yeah, it's really hard to get consistent caregiving. Like, even if you have 15 hours of care, there's no guarantee that you're going to have 15 hours of caregivers coming in. Like, it's a broken system. And so my mom actually moved with me um, into my dorm. And she kind of became like the college mom where my friends would just come over and like they'd get a good meal to eat. Um, 
but it was a great experience and I'm thankful and privileged that I was able to have that experience because a lot of people with disabilities do not have that privilege. And it's criminal. It is ridiculous that that much had to happen just for me to receive an equitable education. Like there was a report a couple of years back about a mom who moved to one of the colleges to take notes for her son who had a disability and she was given an honorary diploma and congratulated on the news. And I was like, no, good for her. Like, thank you for her. But also your system is broken. That college should have provided a note taker. That is a shame on that college. I love where you're going with this. I really feel that your voice should be heard because I feel the same way when COVID hit and they said, oh, we're going to still keep you with 15 hours of respite care. Well, that doesn't work when parents are working from home or if yep. schools are doing hybrid learning. There's no way that 15 hours alone to have a caregiver is going to be sufficient enough when now the children are at home more than they are at school. So I exactly. totally am your biggest supporter when you're talking about that the system is broken and the system needs to be fixed. So with that being said, I know you mentioned what you did at your school with the, you know, the secret camera. Is that the type of filmmaking that inspires you? Are you looking to be more just an actual regular movie type of filmmaker? What is your passion? That is the million dollar question. No, um, so <laughs> I love dabbling in uh, anything filmmaking, right? I really do. Um, I have moved away from the documentary space. When I entered USC, I really embraced my raw truth as a person with a disability. And I found that to me, that translates into dark comedy specifically. <laughs> Uh, just because, you know, it is what it is. I like to give this example. People ask me why I like dark comedy. And I'm like, look, I don't know how many times I can like speed past someone. And somebody's like, oh, I'm going to give you a ticket for reckless driving. Right. In my wheelchair. Oh, right. And it's like wah, so wah. cringy. And it's like the dark comedy, the humorous version of it would just be that. And I just laugh and that's it. But the dark comedy version is that I go back and I run that person's foot over. And that to me is funny. You know, that to me is tearing down the ableist construct that keeps us all oppressed. And so really, that's what I discovered at USC. That was my voice. It was making quirky, fantastical, and bold content. But not only about people with disabilities, I, want, I am making content that embraces diversity and explores intersectionality. And intersectionality is really where I see the future going with films. Um, because it's like, you have so many, yeah, you have films exploring different cultures in America, but I want to see the intersection of it. I want to see the intersection of it with sexuality. I want to see it with um, disability, of course, see it with like economic status. And so that's really what I'm aiming for. And right now I'm currently... Um, so I'm a writer director. Uh, I'm currently a writing. I'm currently a writer for Boons and Curses, which is a Netflix animation show that'll be airing in 2023, and it is inspired by South Asian history and mythology. And so I'm super thrilled and privileged to be on that crew. Um, and I'm also in development on my first feature film called Og, which is a dark comedy about an Indian woman with a disability who is 
trapped in her home until one day her family members figure out that they can get her married off uh, by tricking a man by hiding her disability. Um, and so while they're like planning a wedding, she decides that now is the perfect time to get revenge against them for abusing her for all these years. Um, and so wow. that's really my career. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I am so excited to see because I know that with Netflix, there's a lot more animated series that seem to be coming out or I don't, maybe it's just something I'm noticing, but mm -hmm. I'm excited to see. I, I'm very sarcastic. I love the dark comedy. Um, and I'm excited to see what you bring to the table because I feel like you can shed, shed a light on something that really hasn't been talked about. Or maybe that people are like, ooh, we shouldn't talk about this because that may be stepping over the line. But you having a disability, you're like, you know what? Let's step over the line and just even crush it if we can. Exactly. And I think that's, that's so important, right? Like with Og, with my feature film that I'm making independently, it's like we want to give her agency. We want to give our main character agency. And a lot of these laws that were created by the government weren't created by us. Um, how, like most of them weren't even created by parents of people with disabilities. They were created <laughs> by people who are so far removed from the issue that they have no idea what they're doing. And so right. I, you know, the SSI Restoration Act is being highlighted because it is Disability Pride Month this month. And I'm hoping it passes because if not, yes, I have this great, amazing job at Netflix. I'm a full-time writer, but I'm also right now in kind of a crisis of losing all my services because I have a full-time job. And it's like, I can't, you know, it, it boggles my mind that they expect me to be able to pay for my wheelchair repairs and for my caregiving hours and for all of that when I do not make $300,000 a year, which is what I would need to make to afford all that. Uh, you can't see my face right now because we are recording a podcast from different locations, but I'm in shock. I'm Well, no, I take it back. I, I sh I'm a little bit in shock, but part of me knowing the system and only having a seven-year-old who has gone through, I mean, I didn't even know about respite care until she was like five. So five years of not having respite was something I just never really knew about. I maybe should have done a little bit more research, but as a parent, you don't, you should, I feel like you should get this like pamphlet. Here you go. Here's what you need. Here's your resources. Boom. And yeah. yes, you do need to do your research, but it's like, there are so many different things that are out there that sometimes your, your child is diagnosing correctly, or there's just so many different obstacles. I mean, you know that I feel like you're the perfect person to highlight it in a way that can people can relate and also see the humor in it. Oh, thank you. And that's, that's really what I hope to do with my work. Like, I just want people to be made aware of these issues because it's not fair and we need as many allies as possible to change it. Because people with disabilities, we've been living in poverty for so long. We've been oppressed for so long that when I tell mm -hmm. people about these things, they're like, they really exist now in 2021? And I'm like, yes. People just don't want to shine a light on it because disability apparently isn't glamorous in the mainstream media. And so we are seeing a big shift with that. And it all starts with entertainment. Honestly, it does. I agree with you. I think the more that it's out there in your face and almost to that point where you're making it aware in an entertaining way, but then it's also thought provoking because people are like, wait, wait a minute. 
Because if you're not in that world, you don't know. Like for me, I'm still sitting here in shock that, yeah, just because you have a Netflix job doesn't mean like magically you can pay for all of these other things that you couldn't before. Like that just makes zero sense in my brain. I'm trying to calculate how is that possible that you had these different things that were aiding you and now, oh, because you have a Netflix job, you don't need that stuff anymore. What are you talking about? Exactly. And like, I'll just give you an example. My wheelchair costs about 30,000 to 40,000 and I have to have one every five years, right? Because they break down every five years. And so it's, I mean, I would have to literally not spend any money just to save up. Right. And then the repairs and everything, it's, it's an impossible, impossible task. Um, but hopefully the SSI restoration act will pass, um, Please call your reps, anybody listening to this. Please write an email. It's very important that this passes. Right now, people with disabilities can have $2,000 in their bank account, nothing more. Um, They can save if they put it into a special government account, which is, again, monitored. But again, if I have $2,100, you get cut off. Like That's just how it works. With the SSI Restoration Act, you'll be able to put in $10,000. That'll be the cap into your bank account. And that will be so helpful. Absolutely. Now, how can we support? How can we be an ally with that? Where can we go? Yeah, so um, I would, you know, you can even honestly go on my Instagram page or other activists with disabilities Instagram pages who have put up um, ways to help. I have a link in my bio currently where if you click on it, it'll give you the exact script you can use to either call your rep or copy and paste it into an email for a representative. Um, But right now, those are the main ways. And, you know, if you even Google SSI Restoration Act, read up on it, educate yourself. It's really important that it gets passed. I love it. And Shana, what is your social media handles or or where can we learn more about what you're doing? And as the Netflix uh, show is coming out, where can we find you and your updates? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's my main uh, channel that I use to give everyone updates. Um, I am at disabled underscore Dissy, which is spelled D-E-S-I. And you can also just search for my full name on there. Perfect. Well, to learn more about today's show, uh, please also visit AsianVoicesRadio.com because we will definitely uh, post that on there as well. And just before we, we head out, when can we expect to watch your, your Netflix show or your future films? Yeah. Yeah. So my Netflix, the Netflix show um, that I'm writing on will be out 2023 sometime. Um, and okay. it's called Boons and Curses. You can look it up online. We had an announcement um, a couple about a month ago or a month and a half. And then my feature film, I'll hopefully be directing it next year. So we're aiming for a festival run by the end of next year. Perfect. And then we'll need to have you back so you can talk about it and promote it and also promote the new Netflix series as well. Deal? Definitely. Deal for sure, Hula. Awesome. You're amazing, Shana. You just, you literally have opened my eyes. I know that a lot of parents like myself uh, are looking up to young folks i'm man that makes me sound old even though i'm not that old <laughs> but it just we're looking up to people like you who are going through this and thank you for being that voice for my daughter um so i do appreciate your time and appreciate you being on our show with us of course i appreciate you having me and 
yeah, I look forward to listening to the other shows. Perfect. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, I'm your host, Hula Ramos. And on behalf of my guest, Shayna Garaya, we'd like to thank you for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until next time.